Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Everything USC podcast on Believe Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with the show for every team in L.A. and much, much more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm your host, Nara Wang, and my guest today in episode 54 is Matt Zemek, editor of Trojans Wire, which covers USC athletics for USA Today Sports. Matt, it's good to have you back on the Everything USC podcast. Hey, thanks for having me back, Nara. I really appreciate it. And of course, if you enjoy listening to this show, you can subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you get your favorite podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn, or go right to the website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Network. For me, I am on Twitter, find and follow me, at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Matt, let the people know where they can catch up with you and Trojans Wire. Yeah, Trojans Wire on Twitter and on the web at trojanswire.usatoday.com. The Everything USC podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Football might be over for this season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From odds, scores, totals, and player performance props to where a coach is going to land, Bet Online is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. Head over to the website or use your mobile devices to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to get started. And it's not just basketball. Bet Online's hockey, boxing, and UFC odds coverage is the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, Bet Online is your number one online wagering destination. For the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games, Bet Online, where the game starts. With four games remaining in the regular season for the USC men's basketball team as we record this show on the morning of February 24th, the Trojans have pretty much locked up a bid in the NCAA tournament and are playing for seeding purposes at this point, both for the Pac-12 tournament and the Big Dance. Before we preview the rest of the regular season games, let's recap last weekend when SC was able to sweep the Washington schools at home taking down UW 79-69 and Wazoo in a senior day nail-biter 62-60. Against Washington, they led by as many as 23 in the second half of that game before cruising in for that 10-point victory. Big games by the Big Four. Chavez Goodwin, 24 points on 11 of 14 field goal shooting and 9 rebounds. Drew Peterson, 14 points, 6 of 11 from the field, 2 of 5 from 3, 6 boards and 7 assists for him. Isaiah Mobley coming back wearing the mask had 12 points, 4 rebounds and 8 assists to lead the team in that category. And Boogie Ellis, 9 points, 3 of 6 from long distance, 4 boards, 3 assists and 4 steals. And the unexpected contributor Isaiah White off the bench with 9 points shot 5 of 6 from the free throw line, which has been a big problem for him, and added 6 rebounds as well. And then, on that senior day game against the Cougars of Washington State, SC actually jumped out to a 16-6 lead before Washington State closed the first half on a 26-12 run to lead by 4 at the break. And then the Trojans trailed most of the second half, but held Wazoo scoreless over the last 2 minutes, and got a Max Agbonk Polo three-pointer to tie the game at 60, and Boogie Ellis hitting a mid-range jumper with 0.2 seconds left to win the game. They did allow the Cougars to shoot 15 of 31 from three-point range, but just 5 of 32 from two-point land and 5 of 10 from the free-throw line. USC kind of had similar splits, 11 of 32 from two-point land, 34.5%. 7 to 13 from 3 and for USC an astounding 19 to 25 from the charity stripe 76%. Boogie Ellis 
not just saving the Trojans' hide at the end, but was the one steady guy all game long. Finished with 21 points on 6 of 10 from the field. Made both of his threes and seven of his eight free throws. Drew Peterson, 17 points on 6 of 14 shooting, 3 of 5 from downtown. Mobley struggled a little bit on offense, only 8 points, but had 9 rebounds and 4 assists, but did also struggle with turnovers, had 6 of those. And the -the off-the-bench contributor in this one was Max Agbonk-Polo, that big 3 late, made both of his 3s in the game, had 10 points, and also hit all 4 of his free throws. So coming off of those 2 games, Matt Howe, Do the Trojans look to you so far in this season as we head into the home stretch? Well, you know, the big picture is that one year after, you know, having Evelyn Mobley, a generational talent, generational player, lead USC to the Elite Eight, coming off that, this was a very uncertain season. And obviously getting Boogie Ellis in the transfer portal from Memphis certainly offered reason for optimism. But still, when you lose Evan Mobley, a guy who, you know, he fixes so many flaws and covers up so many other problems that a roster might have because you know, he can just clean up everything at the rim. You know, USC last season was able to be aggressive with its perimeter defense because if guys, you know, lost track of their man on the perimeter and there would be a dribble drive toward the bucket, well, Evan Mobley would save the day. So like it just made it so much easier for everyone else on USC to play defense. So so entering this year, you didn't have that stopgap. You didn't have you know that ultimate protector at the rim. So everyone had to step up his game and that obviously invites an uncertain scenario. So if you had told any USC fan, "Hey, we're going to be 23 and 4 safely in the NCAA tournament." They would have taken that. I think just about any USC fan, you know, should be very pleased with this season. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean fully satisfied because, you know, getting swept by Stanford, obviously a a black mark. And of course, the COVID rescheduling was bundled into that. USC had to play a lot of games in a short period of time. So the Trojans didn't have a chance to rest, didn't have a chance to practice, didn't really have rhythm in the first game against Stanford coming off the COVID pause. So, you know, you could you could look at those kinds of factors, but still not being able to find a way to win at least one of two against Stanford. Boy, you know, the Trojans would be in the running for a number four seed, you know, a really good and especially high seed if they at least not gotten swept by Stanford. So that's obviously a point of disappointment. But in the big picture, hey, to be this solid, win this many games, to be second in the Pac-12 entering the final uh, road trip of February and the final full two-game road trip of the season, I think it's certainly better than than most people had a right to expect. So, you know, you are seeing at USC a process in which the Trojans are stabilizing at a higher level. They went through the rough period after the 2017 NCAA tournament appearance. They missed the tournament in 2018. Of course, they got snubbed. They should have been in that year. But nevertheless, they cut it too closely in 2018, got a really awful break from the selection committee, then a really bad 2019. In 2020, if there had been an NCAA tournament, USC would have gotten in, but probably just as like a nine or a 10 seed. And that's with Onyeka Okongwu. And it was still pretty reasonable for USC fans to be dissatisfied with the job that Andy Enfield was doing. He was recruiting well, and he wasn't maximizing the talent he had at his disposal. So last season and now this season, you're seeing USC perform at a significantly higher level. This is a lot more of what fans had a right to expect and should be expecting of USC basketball. So USC is now performing at a consistently higher level than it did in that 2018 through 2020 period. So the program's floor is definitely higher. Now the challenge is to make the ceiling higher. It's hard to think that this team is going to get back to the Elite Eight because it doesn't have Evan Mobley. But, you know, getting back to the NCAA tournament, and I would say winning one game, at least win at one game, don't get knocked out in the round of 64, that would represent a solid result in terms of carrying the momentum from last year and building a national brand and identity as, hey, We don't just make NCAA tournaments at USC. 
which, you know, was a reasonable standard to have five or six years ago. Now we don't just make NCAA tournaments. We win NCAA tournament games every year. And if you just keep raising the bar steadily, you can eventually get to the point, you know, if Andy Enfield, you know, he's recruiting better. And if he gets some splash acquisitions in the upcoming transfer portal, he might be able to field the kind of roster that can get USC to a number two seed, a number three seed in the NCAA tournament. And once you start getting two seeds and three seeds, USC's not there yet. But, you know, with this accumulated recruiting and with USC continuing to build its brand, hopefully this process, Nara, will lead USC to a point where it's getting top three seeds in the NCAA tournament that offers a better, more favorable draw. And then if USC can break through, I'm not talking about this season, but like in the next two to three years, if USC can get a high seed and then break through by getting to a final four, then you can begin to imagine USC becoming an entrenched power. And the comparison for this is Arizona. You know, Lute Olson came to Arizona in the early 1980s. No one thought anything of Arizona basketball. Lute Olson had to spend several years. You know, it was a number of years before that Final Four team in 1988. But as soon as that happened, it was like, you know, just lighting a match. You know, everything changed for Arizona. The Wildcats became a regular top two, top three seed in NCAA tournaments. They regularly had a shot at the Final Four. So USC's not quite at that level, but you can see Andy Enfield beginning to build at a higher level. So, you know, this season is definitely a step in the right direction. And really the big key is, can Enfield land an elite transfer? Now, Boogie Ellis is a fine player. He obviously was the star of the show against Washington State, but no one would confuse him with a truly top-tier, cream-of-the-crop, best-of-the-absolute-best type transfer. If Enfield can land that kind of player in the 2022 offseason, you combine that with the recruiting that he's done, USC could become like a number two seed type team akin to what George Raveling had in 1992 with the Harold Miner. So everything's building in the right direction and just hopefully more pieces are going to continue to fall in place for the USC basketball program. It's definitely headed in the right direction. I think that's what all Trojans fans would like to see, a consistently good USC men's basketball team. As you mentioned, 23-4 and overall on this season, 12-4 and in the Pac-12. That's good for second place right now because they own the tiebreaker with UCLA, which is also 12-4 and in conference games. And now looking ahead to the Final Four regular season matchups tonight, At 8 o'clock Pacific time, the 16th-ranked Trojans will head on up to Corvallis to take on the Oregon State Beavers. Oregon State, a team that last year shocked everybody by winning the Pac-12 tournament and making an Elite Eight run of their own, has cratered in this season. 3-22 overall, 1-14 in the conference, dead last in the Pac-12 in the first meeting this season on January 13th. USC 81-71 victors. The last time they played up in Corvallis was last season when Oregon State took a two-point victory in an ugly game, 58-56. On Saturday, 7 p.m. game at Oregon in Eugene. The Ducks 17-10 overall, 10-6, good for fourth in the conference right now. Their first meeting on January 15th was a 10-point Oregon win, 79-69. And they haven't played the Ducks up in Eugene since January 23rd of 2020 when Oregon won a double overtime thriller 79-70. And even though it's only a couple of years ago, it's long enough that the stars in that game, Onyeka Okongwu for USC, Chris Duarte, and Peyton Pritchard for Oregon, all in the NBA already. So that's how quickly things can change in college basketball in just a couple of years. And then they have the makeup game at home on Tuesday, 8 o'clock, against the number two ranked Arizona Wildcats, 24 and 2 overall, 14 and 1, leading the Pac 12 in the first meeting on February 5th. A tough loss in Tucson, 72 63. And the last time they faced the Wildcats at home was February 20th of last year when Arizona won 81 72. And then the finale on March 5th, Saturday 
at 7 p.m. The 12th ranked UCLA Bruins try and get their revenge at Pauley Pavilion. They are 20 and 5 right now, 12 and 4, right behind USC in the conference, as I mentioned. And USC is coming off of that big 67 64 win on February 12th. And the last meeting against UCLA at Pauley was that Taj Edi corner three to win the game. 64-63, USC holding a now five-game winning streak in the series in the Crosstown Showdown. So what are you expecting to see out of the Trojans in these remaining four regular season games? Well, you know, we're, so we're recording this show right before, you know, several hours before the Oregon State game. So by the time many people are listening to this show, they might already know the result of that Oregon State game. But we already know going in that Boogie Ellis won't play in this Oregon State game because, you know, in practice, he landed on a teammate's foot. So he was on crutches per Ryan Karchi of the Los Angeles Times. So, like, there would be no reason for him to play against Oregon State. It'll be interesting to see if he can play on Saturday against Oregon. We'll wait and see. My best guess, though, is that he would return on Tuesday for the big home game against Arizona. But the timing's pretty nasty for this. And obviously, if there's any doubt about Boogie Ellis's physical condition you got to play it safe because you have the Pac-12 tournament and the NCAA tournament just around the corner so you'd rather play it safe than exacerbate the injury you know the main thing about the Oregon State game regardless of how it ultimately plays out is that if USC loses that is a big hit in terms of NCAA tournament seeding the Trojans would drop two seed lines if they lose to a an Oregon State team that has just three wins on the season going into Thursday night. So the value of the Oregon State game, just, you know, avoid a two seed drop. I think if USC wins the Oregon State game, it's very, very unlikely that USC would fall to a number eight seed, which means playing potentially Gonzaga or Auburn or another number one seed on the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. So that's the value of the Oregon State game. And then if USC can win one of the following three games at Oregon, the home game against Arizona, the game at Poly Pavilion against UCLA, then the Trojans probably would solidify themselves as a six seed. And if they can win two of those games, they can probably move up to a five. And anything more than that, including like a run to the final of the Pac-12 tournament, a four seed's still in play. Now, I wouldn't say it's likely. I don't want people to think that, hey, Trojans have like the inside track to a four seed. It's going to take a lot of heavy lifting and some other teams ahead of them are going to have to lose as well, but that it's still within the realm of possibility. But I'd say that USC right now is a six seed. If we project in terms of the NCAA tournament, pending the outcome of the Oregon state game and that the Trojans could play their way up to a five pretty reasonably. And that gives the team a pretty decent shot at the sweet 16 because a five versus four game in the second round. That's those are usually coin flips. Those are usually 50, 50 games. So that's kind of the, short-term outlook for USC in these games. It's also going to be interesting. The Saturday game at Oregon, you know, we're going to be watching USC-Oregon State on Thursday night, but we're also going to be paying attention to UCLA at Oregon. Oregon has to get on a roll to have any shot at the NCAA tournament. So if the Ducks lose to UCLA, that's going to be a really desperate Oregon team on Saturday. If Oregon beats UCLA, then maybe the Ducks, who have been very uneven, might not play their best. They might empty the tank for UCLA and then, you know, they don't have the same edge against USC. And of course, with Boogie Ellis' status up in the air, it's going to be fascinating to see how the Trojans uh, handle that moment. So the player who obviously becomes more of a factor here, Nara, is Ethan Anderson. You know, he was the lead guard in the 2020 season as a freshman, had a lot of responsibilities dumped on him. But then, you know, with Taj Edey in the 2021 lineup, hitting lots of big shots. And the Trojans could really use Tajidi this year. Like he's the piece who in, in many ways could solve almost as many problems as Evan Mobley could. But anyway, with Boogie out, step right on up, Ethan Anderson. He'll have to play at least 30 minutes the next couple nights. You know, if he can, he doesn't have to score huge, but like he needs to score a little bit and he needs to, you know, collect an, a number of assists, keep the turnovers down. And, of course, plays solid defense, which he does regularly. So if he can give USC a solid two-way game, the Oregon State game should be fine. And then, you know, he would be able to give the Trojans a good chance against an Oregon team, which blitzed uh, USC, of course, 
a month ago when there were no fans allowed in the Galen Center. You're exactly right, Matt. Obviously, the loss of Boogie Ellis, if it's long-term, is very detrimental to the Trojans. Hopefully, again, maybe just missing the one game against Oregon State. And if USC can't beat Oregon State without Boogie Ellis, then we have bigger questions to talk about there. But like you said, if they can get him back against Oregon, that would be great. But even then, you know, they were willing to sit Isaiah Mobley against UCLA. So just got to make sure that Boogie is healthy for the Pac-12 tournament and the NCAA tournament. That's the most critical thing for USC. And how important do you really think seeding is for the Pac-12 tournament for USC? Well, I think seeding, you know, it does matter. Like with respect to USC being a two or three seed and USC and UCLA are going to be two and three in some order. USC is currently in the two spot, but if USC falls, it's not going to fall down to number four because USC has built a multi-game lead over Oregon. Highly unlikely that USC would fall down to the four spot, but you know, being the four seed means you have to play top seed in Arizona in the semis, not the final. If you're in the two or the three spot, which USC and UCLA are likely to be, you avoid Arizona until the Pac-12 tournament championship game. And here's the reminder, now that Arizona's you know really good again, we haven't had to worry about that for the past few years, but it's obviously true this year. With the Pac-12 tournament in Las Vegas, Arizona owns that arena at the Pac-12 tournament. You know, at Staples Center, you had a fair amount of Arizona fans, you had plenty of Los Angeles alumni for the University of Arizona. But in Vegas, it's even more the case that Arizona is going to own the building. You know, it's an interesting comparison, Nara, with the Pac-12 football championship moving to Vegas. We saw that it's no longer a Pac-12 North-friendly venue. You know, it was over the past several years up at Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara. But now in Vegas, it's going to be much more of a Pac-12 South venue. Utah fans dominated that venue for football. USC fans are going to dominate that venue when Lincoln Riley brings the Trojans there. So anyway, you don't want to play Arizona in the Pac-12 tournament if you can possibly help it. So being a two or a three seed is going to put you on the other side of the bracket. That's where USC wants to be. I agree. As long as they don't drop to four, I think they'll be fine because two and three essentially really doesn't matter. But we'll see how that all turns out with USC and UCLA jockeying for position and seeding behind Arizona in the Pac-12 tournament standings. And of course, this is the Everything USC podcast. I'm Nara Wang. My guest today, the editor of Trojans Wire, Matt Zemek. If you enjoy listening to the show, you can subscribe, download, and rate it on all of your favorite podcast directories, or go right to our website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Network. For me, I'm on Twitter, at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Matt, how do they find you on social media? So you can find us at Trojans Wire, where, you know, for the most part, we just circulate, recirculate our content so that you can catch us and our stuff at different times of day. But, you know, during USC basketball games, we live tweet, following all the action, providing analysis and commentary. So Trojans Wire on Twitter and then on the web at trojanswire.usatoday.com. The Everything USC podcast is brought to you by NordVPN. What's more important than peace of mind? Nothing. And that's what NordVPN is here for, to give you peace of mind while you are online. And with all of the threats that you face today on the internet, it's more important than ever to be sure that you have the best VPN you can get. NordVPN is the world's best VPN service, offering the fastest connectivity, most servers, and next-gen encryption to make sure that everything you do online stays secure. Plus, you can use NordVPN on all of your computers and devices, no matter the operating system. With NordVPN's unlimited bandwidth, you never have to worry about a slow connection either, and plans start at under $4 per month. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com believe, or use the code believe, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get up to 70% off your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free. It's also risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.
And now, Matt, let's look a little bit deeper into the postseason outlook for USC, beginning with that Pac-12 tournament that will take place March 9th through 12th in Las Vegas. Obviously, USC wants to avoid playing in that first round on Wednesday the 9th because the top four in the conference will get the bye to the quarterfinals, which looks like it should be laid out for USC to get one of those top four seeds. And when you look at the bottom of the conference, there's still a lot of flux on who it could be that USC will end up playing. But is there a team that you don't want to see the Trojans draw in the tournament? No, there should be no team that should overly concern USC. And beyond that, let's say USC gets a really stiff test in the quarterfinals from a lower seed. Like, that's good. The Trojans need tests. They need to know that they can't just show up and coast. And like that Washington State game, man, when you think about it, like that is exactly the kind of game that USC might have to survive in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Like that felt like a classic 12 versus five game. You know, USC obviously stronger, more powerful, more physical. Washington State was playing like a double digit seed, you know, needing to win by shooting three pointers and very nearly pulled off the upset like you could imagine a a little mid-major school with undersized guys you know just trying to hit threes at every opportunity so that's like that's a really good lesson that's a really good teaching moment for Andy Enfield to get his guys in the right frame of mind and to remind them of the right approach on defense it's interesting that entering the Stanford game the first Stanford game on uh, January 11th Andy Katz national college basketball analyst pointed out before that game that USC was holding opponents to under 28% shooting from three-point range. So Stanford got hot from three in each of its wins against USC. And then you look at Washington State. Washington State, as you mentioned, 15 of 31. Wazoo was 15 of 27 before missing its last four threes. USC needed Washington State to miss those last four three-pointers in order to escape with that win. But it just reinforces the point that Three-point shooting defense, that is the number one key. If you're to look at how USC wins the Pac-12 tournament and gets to the Sweet 16, you know, does well again in the NCAA tournament, three-point defense is the number one thing. And if you remember, Pac-12 teams who succeeded at the NCAA tournament last year, UCLA to the Final Four, Oregon State joining USC in the Elite Eight, Oregon getting to the Sweet 16. They all defended the three-point line extremely well. John Wilner, the great Pac-12 journalist, he's written about this. You can Google what he wrote about the 2021 Pac-12 performance in the NCAA tournament. It was built on three-point shooting defense. So like that is the number one thing for USC. The second biggest thing is turnovers. USC did a great job in the first two months of this season, in the 13-0 start, limiting turnovers. It was very rare that USC committed more than 11 turnovers per game. There were several nights when USC committed like just seven or eight turnovers. So if USC can defend the three-point line, keep turnovers at 10 or fewer, Trojans have a great chance to do some damage in March. In terms of players, obviously Ethan Anderson, as we mentioned earlier with the Boogie Ellis injury, you know, he has to be more of a factor. And let's remember Isaiah White. He had that huge game against Oregon in the Sweet 16 last March. There's a lot of talent there. He hit three three three-pointers in USC's loss at Arizona. So I'm going to look for him to be a step-up player in this rematch against Arizona. And if Andy Enfield can get him going at the Pac-12 tournament and he can get momentum heading into the NCAA tournament, like that's an added producer for USC. And that really fits into the larger overall point in terms of the lineup. There are points, rebounds, assists. There's lots of contribution potentially existing on that bench, but we haven't seen it consistently. We've seen Reese Dixon Waters come up with a few really big performances. We've seen Kobe Johnson really improve the half-court offense with his assists and his passing. He might be a factor with Boogie Ellis out for however long he is out. And then you also have Joshua Morgan's length and defense. We saw that in the San Diego State game in Anaheim at the Wooden Legacy on Thanksgiving weekend. And Max Agbonk-Polo, he belongs as a bench player He takes too many shots when he's a starter. He feels the need to launch too many threes. But coming off the bench, he plays a much more disciplined game. He focuses on his defense, 
and he's much more selective shooting the ball. His three-pointer was a big key in winning that game against Washington State on Sunday. So beyond specific statistical categories, if USC can get eight, nine guys all contributing, we saw that for most of the Arizona game before Isaiah Mobley suffered the broken nose, which prevented him from being a factor in the final five minutes of that game when Arizona went on the decisive run. That game against Arizona in the McHale Center in Tucson for the first 35 minutes, that was as good as I've seen USC play this season, particularly in terms of eight or nine guys all offering meaningful contributions. That is the template for what USC needs to be in March. And if the Trojans can approach that, they are going to be a very tough out uh, when the big dance begins. Yeah, just to follow up on a couple of things. The field goal percentage defense for USC is top five in the country. That's overall field goal percentage defense, 37.5% that they allow. But since that Stanford game, like you mentioned, their three-point field goal defense has suffered a little bit and it hasn't been as good in these conference games. So we'll see if they can kind of straighten that out. Because like you mentioned, they are probably going to have to run into a team Whether it's the Pac-12 tournament, if they have to play Washington State again, or Stanford, which lit them up from three, or in the NCAA tournament against a possible mid-major type team that's going to shoot a bunch of threes, SC has to figure that out. And I think that you're right. It'd be great if SC can get eight guys at least to contribute each game. That's when they are at their best. And you just have to hope that everyone's healthy and ready to go once we get into these postseason games. So. In the end, how do you think SC finishes in that Pac-12 tournament? I think that, you know, the Boogie Ellis injury comes at a bad time. And it has defied the laws of averages for Andy Enfield to be 5-0 and against Mick Cronin since Mick Cronin came to UCLA. So I think that the law of averages are due to balance out a little bit. Now, it has to be said that Jaime Hawkes, who one could say is UCLA's best player, better than Johnny Juzang, He is not fully healthy as well. So that could kind of cancel each other out. But I do think that if you get USC against UCLA in a Pac-12 tournament semifinal, that would be the two versus three semifinal. I'd be slightly inclined to take UCLA at this point. But, you know, remember, USC beat UCLA without Isaiah Mobley. So if it can beat UCLA without Mobley, it can certainly beat UCLA. You know, if Boogie Ellis is physically hampered, not ready to go. 100%. But knowing what we know about USC's bench measured against UCLA's bench, UCLA is a deeper team. So UCLA is in a better position to handle that everyday basketball schedule that you get at a conference tournament where you don't have days off. You have to come right back the next day. USC's history in the Pac 12 tournament isn't especially good. You know, lost in the semifinals last year to Colorado. So if you ask me right now, I would say USC loses to UCLA in the Pac-12 semis. But before people get too concerned about that point, losing in the Pac-12 semis means you get an extra day of rest for the really big tournament, the NCAA tournament. So like that wouldn't be a worst case scenario. I think that, you know, when we get to the Pac-12 tournament, we need to see where USC is in terms of its overall seed positioning. If there's a concern that USC could fall from a six seed to a seven, you know, then it might be a little bit more important to win an extra Pac-12 tournament game. But if USC is solidly in the sixth position, maybe on the borderline of a five, then, you know, any loss in the Pac-12 semis wouldn't be especially damaging. Like if you told me right now USC's a six in the NCAA tournament, I'd say fine because, hey, USC did well with a six seed last year. And if you're a six, it means you're not a seven. You're not playing a two seed. I think as long as you're away from the seven and eight seeds and you're either in that six or five position, USC's probably going to play a team, you know, should it get out of the first round, USC's probably going to play a team in the second round that it can beat. There are a couple two seeds that, you know, would really be a tough challenge for USC. Like if Kentucky is a two seed and USC is a seven playing Kentucky, like Oscar Shibway, one of the candidates for national player of the year that would be a rough rough matchup for Isaiah Mobley in the low post Baylor as well Baylor just plays ferocious defense it would be really hard for USC to score 
against Baylor's defense. But if you're a six seed and you're playing a three, you might play Providence, which, you know, is a really good team. But if you look at Providence, the Friars are just winning every close game they play. Like that's a number three seed with like number six seed level talent. So if USC is a six and it can draw a three seed in the second round, I think USC is going to go up against a very beatable opponent. So I think the goal in the big picture, if USC wants to get to the sweet 16, which I think would be a great result for this season without Evan Mobley, staying at the six line, not falling to a seven. If you can rise up to a five, that's great. But really, it's more of don't fall to a seven or an eight. A six seed would be perfectly reasonable. And when you break down what USC is currently, they are 24th in today's net rankings, which would put them squarely on that six seed line. If the committee chooses to go by the net as their main decider, they're 16th in the AP and coaches polls, obviously. And when you look at their quad one wins, it's UCLA at Washington State and that wooden legacy game against San Diego State. Now that San Diego State has moved up into the top 50 in the net, and their only real bad loss was that home loss to Stanford. That's a quad three game. But they have three more quad one games to go. Those last three games of the season at Oregon, home against Arizona, and at UCLA are all going to be quad one games. They're three and one so far in those quad one games that they have played and 108th in the net strength of schedule 305 in the non-conference strength of schedule that's what's keeping SE down a little bit I think and that's why I think you're right about the range of what SE is looking at so if they can do really well to finish out the regular season do well in the Pac-12 tournament I think they could get up to a four seed but I think we're looking at probably that 5-6 line, which, like you said, I think is perfectly fine for USC. You just don't want to drop down to 7-8-9. In the tournament, though, with the way it's structured, do you think a region placement really matters for SC? Not particularly, because the goal for USC, realistically, is to get to the Sweet 16. So that means, you know, winning two games on that first weekend. So it's not the top seeds, the teams with, you know, really legitimate final four aspirations, that's when the regional placement comes into play because, you know, as you know, the first weekend is the pod placement where, you know, teams are scattered across the country. The top teams are going to play closer to home, but in the regionals, you want that closer placement. So for example, Gonzaga is going to be the one seed in the West and we'll have the comfortable arrangement there. Arizona is fighting to be the one seed in the South because San Antonio is the regional site for the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight. So that's a much better commute for Arizona fans than going to Chicago for the Midwest or especially to Philadelphia for the East. But for USC and any other team where the Sweet 16 really is the realistic goal, it's just about the first weekend. So it's pretty obvious that USC is going to be shipped somewhere outside the West, or at least that's how the bracketing system is supposed to work. I think just the main thing is, does USC get the right matchups? You know, last year, the three seed in USC's bracket was Kansas. And Kansas is really good this year. Kansas was not nearly as good last year. That was a very beatable team. That was a Kansas team that, you know, did not really come together really well. Usually Kansas is a number one seed. And this year, Kansas uh, probably will be a number one seed, or at least it's right on the cut line, battling with Kentucky and maybe also Baylor for that fourth and final number one seed in the East region going to Philadelphia. So anyway, the matchup is really what matters. What kind of team does USC draw if it is a six seed? So, you know, looking at the teams on the two or the three line, I'd really like to play Duke. I think Duke's a very beatable number three seed. If Duke is a three, Duke might be a two, but if Duke is a three, I think that's a very winnable matchup. A three seed I would not want to play is Texas Tech. I mean, Texas Tech, much like Baylor, is just an animal defensively. An ESPN commentator said the other night, Texas Tech plays mother-in-law defense. Suffocating pressure, constant harassment. You can't get away from it. (laughs) So really, the matchups are what I'm most interested in and concerned about. You know, teams that can absolutely bring USC's offense to a halt. I want to avoid those. 
teams that have shown, you know, some degree of softness, teams that, you know, haven't really maxed out, teams that have played in conferences which haven't been especially strong this year, such as the ACC. The ACC's had a terrible season. That's really what I'm looking forward to when uh, Selection Sunday comes around on March 13th. Yes, as we all know, Matt, it's all about the matchups when it comes to March Madness. So we'll be looking forward to seeing how USC closes out this season and goes into the big dance, where they get placed, and what the matchup possibilities are. This is the Everything USC podcast. I'm Nara Wang, joined today by Matt Zemek, editor of Trojans Wire. And if you enjoy listening to this podcast, subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you get your favorite podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, and more. Or go right to the website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com. Find us on social media, at Believe Network. For me, you can go to Twitter, at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. And Matt, where do they catch up with Trojans Wire? Yeah, at Trojans Wire on uh, Twitter and on the web at trojanswire.usatoday.com. The Everything USC podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Tons of people take multivitamins, but it's important to choose one that is top quality. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to start your day right. Their special blend of ingredients supports gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, energy, recovery, focus, and aging. It's also lifestyle-friendly and fits a wide range of diets. There's only one gram of sugar and no chemicals or artificial anything. Reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com believe. That's B-L-E-A-V. Again, that's athleticgreens.com believe. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Athletic Greens, take ownership of your health. And finally, when you were on the first time, it was football season right after the loss against Notre Dame. And one of the things we discussed was who USC was going after for its next head football coach. And we discussed the possible candidates. Lincoln Riley's name didn't even come up. How surprised were you when the reports came out that he would be the next head coach of the Trojans? Hey, I was as shocked as anybody else. And it's kind of hard to put ourselves back in that mindset that we all had as USC fans or USC followers, you know, observers of the scene on that Thanksgiving weekend leading up to that bombshell on Sunday. In the preceding 72 hours, the buzz was Matt Campbell, Matt Campbell. And one of the specific details of that final weekend was that Iowa State played a Friday game, Thanksgiving Friday, against TCU. So that meant that Matt Campbell's regular season ended before other various coaching candidates. So USC conceivably had a window in which it could start interviewing. Matt Campbell before the other coaching candidates. And the other really big tension point, if we bring ourselves back to that weekend, was that Oklahoma and Baylor were battling to see who would play in the Big 12 championship game. And of course, Oklahoma, had it beaten Oklahoma State, would have been in the Big 12 title game. So Mike Bone and Brandon Sosna wouldn't have been able to line up the deal with Lincoln Riley. And we remember that Brandon Sosna said like he was nervous as hell during that Bedlam game. And he was praying for Oklahoma to lose because that was going to be the thing which would have enabled Mike Bone to you know land the plane, as it were, and get Lincoln Riley signed, sealed, and delivered to USC the day after. So the larger reality that whoever was not in the Big 12 championship game was going to be a prime USC target that point held up well, but so many of us, myself included, 
thought that Matt Campbell was going to be the beneficiary of that dynamic, but it turned out it was Lincoln Riley all along and that Mike Bone and Brandon Sosna were playing that long game and they picked up on Riley's dissatisfaction with Oklahoma's impending move to the SEC. And so as soon as Oklahoma fell out of the Big 12 title game, that opened the door. But this was kept very quiet, as we know, by Mike Bone and his team. It was a masterful ninja stealth job, but yeah, none of us saw it coming. And we also remember that Brian Kelly went to LSU one day after USC pulled Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma. Just an unprecedented weekend and an unprecedented coaching carousel. You do not generally see coaches in their prime at elite schools such as Oklahoma and Notre Dame leave for other blue blood football programs. So it's a game changer in terms of, you know, not only the actual business of college football, but also it's a change for how all of us cover the coaching carousel. Because when Bruce Feldman tweeted that tweet about USC taking a swing at Lincoln Riley, you know, on Sunday morning, two or three hours before the deal actually was finalized, I thought, come on, USC getting Lincoln Riley. Like, you know, that's not going to happen. And then of course it did. But like, I don't regret dismissing that rumor because there was no precedent for that. You know, there was no previous historical basis for that. But now, and then after seeing Brian Kelly to LSU, things that which seem absurd, or or at least which have seemed absurd within the context of how the coaching industry has unfolded over the past several decades in college football, well, they don't seem absurd anymore. And that we now have to treat certain rumors, certain reports, certain ideas, we have to consider them as being within the realm of possibility. So the game has changed and it was really a spectacular feat by Mike Bone as USC's athletic director. And what do you think is the biggest thing that Riley brings to USC that's going to resurrect the program? You know, you can answer that in a lot of different ways, but I think it comes down to just he's excellent. He's excellent at his job. You know, he won four straight Big 12 titles at Oklahoma as head coach, six straight if you include his two years as offensive coordinator under Bob Stoops, three straight playoff appearances. You look at how he develops quarterbacks from Baker Mayfield to Kyler Murray to Jalen Hurts. I mean, he turns out pros, and all of us at USC are painfully aware of how poorly Clay Helton developed players. So in many ways, you can focus on the recruiting, you can focus on the transfer portal, you can focus on you know how well Lincoln Riley coaches offense, so you know that makes him a sexy hire in Los Angeles, a place which you know doesn't just like winning, but it likes winning with style. The Showtime Lakers, after all, it's part of the city's sports DNA. You can frame it in a lot of different ways, but it all just comes down to he's excellent at what he does, and it's so great to see USC having excellence in its football program once again. And now we just need to see it happen on the field, which all of us are fully confident is going to actually happen. Based on what you've seen with what he's done so far with recruiting and the transfer portal, what should the expectations be for the 2022 USC football season? So, you know, with the college football playoff not expanding, it was never going to be able to expand for 2022. But nevertheless, with the playoff not expanding to 12 teams, that obviously reduces the margins for USC. So just that reality means that, you know, USC is going to have to crack a four-team playoff. And I think in 2023, 2024, we should begin to have that expectation of making the playoff. But I think in year one, with all the transitions going on and with the extent to which Clay Helton damaged the program, I think that winning the Pac-12 should be the expectation. You know, we shouldn't absolutely expect a playoff berth in year one, but winning the Pac-12, that is very realistic. It's very attainable. One thing to keep in mind is that the Pac-12 wasn't very good in 2021. So while Utah was clearly the best team in the conference and Kyle Whittingham and his guys you know, did a fantastic job and they obviously crushed Oregon twice, to win the league, and that's a very good football team over there in Salt Lake City. Nevertheless, Utah won a very weak Pac-12. So when you consider all the additions, 
all the transformations, all the enhancements that Lincoln Riley has made to USC football, even if you account for the weaknesses on the two lines, offense and defense, and some of the weaknesses throughout the defense that Alex Grinch is going to try to repair, USC has already formulated with Caleb Williams, Mario Williams, Travis Dye, other high-profile acquisitions in the transfer portal. USC already has an offense, I think, that can regularly put up 40 points a game. So even if the defense is giving up 30 or 35, if the offense is scoring 40, that's still going to be enough for USC to win the Pac-12. So I think just, you know, win the conference. You can't get to the playoff if you don't win the Pac-12 first. So you establish your supremacy in the conference and in the West at large. And that obviously will be great for recruiting in future seasons. I think if USC can just win the Pac-12, beat out Utah, beat out Oregon, that that's a great first season. You know, maybe you lose once in the Pac-12, maybe you lose to Notre Dame and you don't make the playoff, but winning the Pac-12, going to a Rose Bowl in year one, I really think that USC fans should be satisfied if that scenario does in fact come to pass. Yeah, I am in complete agreement with you on that. I think if they can go 10-2, and two, win the Pac-12, that's really, I think, the best you can hope for as a USC fan. Trying to get into the playoff in year one is going to be tough, especially with having to revamp the defense. And I think you're right. I think there's going to be a lot of crazy shootout games that we're going to see USC in. So they're going to stress us out in a different way in 2022 than they have before. But it should be exciting. And obviously, everyone now is excited about the program again and looking forward to the future instead of what it had been under Clay Helton. So, Matt, thanks again for coming back on. Great to talk to you again about USC hoops and football. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me back. I enjoyed it. For my guest, Trojans Wire editor Matt Zemek, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode 54 of the Everything USC podcast presented by Bet Online on Believe, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in LA and so much more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? And as always, I end every show with a fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.